0: I invite you to turn to uh, Psalms 95 this morning, Psalms 95, and as you turn there, we just want to read through it so you get a sense of what is in store for us in this psalm. Psalms 95, beginning in verse 1, this is uh, uh, our summer in the Psalms as we Look through the Psalms to find the encouragement and the blessing that God has in store for us. And trust that it is a blessing, it has been an encouragement to you. Psalms 95. Oh, come, let us sing to the Lord. Let us shout joyfully to the rock of our salvation. Let us come before his presence with thanksgiving. Let us shout joyfully to him with psalms. For the Lord is the great God, the great King above all gods. In his hand are the deep places of the earth, the heights of the hills are his also. The sea is his, for he made it, and his hands formed the dry land. O come and let us worship and bow down, let us kneel before the Lord our Maker, for he is our God, and we are the people of his pasture, the sheep of his hand. Today if you will hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion, as in the day of trial in the wilderness, when your fathers tested me, they tried me. Though they saw my work, for 40 years I was grieved with that generation and said, It is a people who go astray in their hearts, and they do not know my ways. So I swore in my wrath, they shall not see my rest. As we get into this psalm, we're going to see worship in real time. But before I get too involved, I want you to look inside your bulletin. You'll notice that on the right-hand side... Under today, it says 11 a.m. morning worship service. Doesn't it? Okay. I'm glad I got the right bulletin. I have a couple questions to ask you about that. Number one is what is worship? What is worship? What do we mean by a worship service? Uh, but even really, before we get into those issues, we need to ask the question why are you here? in this worship service and i know there's a number of answers a number of responses that you could give some of you are here out of habit <laughs> this is just what you do and, and you know not all habits are bad habits all right i'll, I'll grant you that and, and being in church on a regular basis when you feel like it when you don't feel like it that's a good habit it's life affirming it's life building it's a good habit But maybe it's a habit, somebody, you know, you've always been in church, and it's Sunday morning, so you're here, and it's become not just a habit, it is just routine. Maybe you're here because of a little bit of pressure. You know, somebody in the family put a guilt trip on you. (laughs) Somebody said, if you're not in church, (laughs) if you live in this house, you'll be in church. (laughs) Or maybe you just feel, maybe they don't have that authority, but uh, you just feel the guilt. And rather than uh, create uh, animosity and problems in the family, you're going to endure. And so you're going to come because of some pressure. Some of you are here because of some fellowship. And I know that to be true. We've already enjoyed some of that fellowship this morning. And we've enjoyed seeing one another and catching up and sometimes praying for different uh, needs and things that are going on in your life. And so you enjoy... The fellowship, it's an opportunity to greet one another, to get a hug, to catch up, see what's happening. How can I pray for you this week? And so there's good fellowship and enjoyment together. And, and that's certainly biblical. We're to get together to sharpen one another and encourage one another. But maybe you're here today because you're hurting And there's some concerns and some needs in your life, and it's been a rough week, and things are not well at home or at work, and so you've come, and you're hoping to find some healing. Maybe you're hoping to find an encouragement word or a solution to a problem that you've been facing. I hesitate to say this, but I recognize that some might go to church for entertainment purposes. Now, I, I don't know why, but uh, maybe you're hoping to hear a song or maybe a story that'll just lift your little heart and, and give you a tingle and an excitement. You go, oh, that was a good one. <laughs> and uh, maybe you're hoping that I'll tell a joke or something that you can share in, at work tomorrow. And, uh, you know, you're hoping to be entertained. Well, you know, there was a guy came to church with his family and on the way home, they were driving home afterwards and he complained about everything in the service. He said the music was too loud, the sermon was too long, the announcements were unclear, the building was hot, the people were cold, everything. And finally, his very astute son looked at him and he says, Dad, but you got to admit it was a pretty good show for just five bucks. <laughs> <laughs> so, what is meant by worship? What is worship? Now, you put all of this in your notes, and you, put, you don't need to write all this down. But if you study that word worship out, um, in the English, the word means to ascribe the highest worth to. So, when you're saying we're worshiping, you're saying, Lord, you're number one in my life. I've given you the highest value, the highest worth in my life. You come before anything and everything else. That's worship. All right, with that in mind, did you walk in the door and think, Lord, you are the high priority? I'm going to set aside everything else because you are my focus today in this hour. If you go back into the language of the Old Testament, the Hebrew language, it means to bow down, to humble ourselves, to recognize His sovereignty. And to express reverence in his presence. We talked about that just a few moments ago, didn't we? We all bow down. Why? To show our humility before a holy God, a sovereign God who has all power and authority, is in control of all, and we show that that we are subject to him. We bow down. You come to the New Testament and the Greek word, really it's the same word that's used in this sentence. A dog licked the hand of his master. Do you see the concept there? The loyalty, the undying gratitude, the love that's expressed in that. So you could put all of those together and this I think is in your notes. Worship then, if I combine all those, is to acknowledge who God is. Not who I think he is, not what I want him to be, but acknowledge who he is, and I give him preeminence in my life. How do I do that? Well, I humble myself before him. I recognize that he is sovereign. He is the source of all authority. And I express my love, loyalty, and undying gratitude to him. That's what Psalms 95 is really about. Let me break it down for you this way as kind of an outline. If we look at the beginning couple of verses, it's a call to worship. Isn't that what he said? Oh, come, let us sing to the Lord. So all the people, there's a corporate aspect of it here. Corporate worship is important as well as private worship. But he's saying, let's come together. Let's worship the Lord we're to the Lord. And then there's this question, well, why? Why should we do this? And verses 3 to 5 answers that. And it says, because the Lord is sovereign. He is uh, above all the gods. And that's a little g, gods. Over anything else you might think of worshiping, God is above that. He created the world. Therefore, he has authority and he has power. That's why we need to worship him. And then we get down to verse 6 and we see another call to worship. Come, let us worship and bow down. Let us kneel before the Lord our maker. And again, this question, well, why? And he answers that question in verse 7. He says, he is our creator and he is our shepherd. He made us, he brought us into existence. And then as a, as a shepherd, if you go to Psalms 23, you get that sense of who that shepherd is and how he works and functions on behalf of his sheep. He cares for all their needs. He leads them. He guides them. He comforts them. He heals them. You go through that psalm and you find all the attributes of the shepherd, the loving, caring shepherd. God is our creator. He has all authority. But he's our loving shepherd who leads and guides and cares for us. That's why we worship him. In light of that, you get to the last half of verse 7. He says, therefore, beware of the sin of unbelief. Beware. And he's warning that current generation uh, because their forefathers took lightly who God was. They saw God in Egypt take them out of the most dire of circumstances as a whole nation. They plundered the Egyptians at the hand of God as the Egyptians handed over to them all their wealth and they left. And then the Egyptians followed after and put them in in a tough spot. You got the sea and you got the armies of Egypt. What are you going to do? And God opened up the sea. They walked across on dry ground, and he buried the Egyptians in the end of that. They saw the redemptive hand of God preserving them. They saw God provide food and drink for millions of Israelites for 40 years as they wandered through the desert. And what he's saying is, your forefathers forgot who God was. They disobeyed God. They didn't walk in faith. Don't be like them. Worship him because he's sovereign. Worship him because he's your creator. He is your shepherd. Do not allow that to escape your mind at any point. Beware of the sin of unbelief. Anytime scripture says something once, it's important, isn't it? Anytime it says it twice, we better pay attention. And he says, worship him twice in this short passage. Declare his value. Declare his worth. Don't allow anything, the circumstances of life, the troubles of life, to take you away from his worship. And as... The psalmist wrote to his generation and said, Beware the sin of unbelief. I think it's appropriate to our generation and to our people today that we not allow technology and affluence and all the things that we enjoy to take us away and to replace our trust in God. Trust Him. Worship Him. Now, as you read through the Scriptures, you'll find that there tends to be some common denominators when it comes to worship. Two primary ingredients... Uh, The first of that is a sense of awe. You you can't worship, first of all, what you don't know. You can't truly worship because you can't trust it. You can't adore it. You, You can't approach without a sense of awe. When you come to know the Lord God, he is awesome, is he? Our psalmist has just described who he is, that he's the great God. He's the God above all gods. He is the creator. He is the sustainer. He's told us all that. And that ought to engender in us a sense of awe, respect, amazement. When you know him for who he is, you will come before him in awe. Listen from Isaiah chapter 6. Isaiah said, I saw the Lord seated on a throne, high and exalted, and the train of his robe filled the temple. What he did was he came into the presence and he learned something about God. He saw him for who he was, not for what Isaiah thought he was, not for what Isaiah may have wanted him to be. So many people today misunderstand the nature and the character of God because they put their preconceived ideas into what they think God is. Instead of reading the word of God and finding out who he is, they say, God, I want you to do this for me, and I want you to do this for me, and I want you to act like this, and this is what I expect of you. That's not the God of Psalms 95. That's not the God who is the great and awesome God, the creator and the sustainer and the shepherd. Isaiah walked into the presence of God and he realized who he was. It goes on, it says that there were angels around shouting, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord Almighty. The whole earth is full of his glory. At the sound of their voices, the doorposts and the threshold shook and the temple was filled with smoke. Woe to me, I cried. I am ruined, for I am a man of unclean lips. I live among a people of unclean lips and my eyes have seen the King, the Lord Almighty. Do you get a sense of awe there? Isaiah said, I went into the temple and I saw the Lord. He was on his throne. Glory of God was permeating everything. And I felt the ground shake. And I saw the smoke fill the temple. And the angels saying, holy, holy, holy. And I felt unworthy. I was in his presence. And so there is awe there. When was the last time you felt the awe of God? Have you ever felt that way? You ever looked up the stars and seen the multitude and just went, wow. You look at the universe, you look at a newborn baby, and you realize the one who created the stars created that child. The one that loves us so much, sacrificed and gave himself for us. Awesome. David felt it. Remember when he said, When I consider the heavens and the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars, which you set in place, what is man that you should take note of him? And then he closes with the words, O Lord our God, how majestic is your name in all the earth. Awe. Worship involves awe. The second aspect of worship is a sense of joy. These people discovered that God is not just some awesome being waiting for them to make a mistake so that he can punish them. Listen to Acts 2, 46. The early church broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. It's a good thing to come to church and enjoy one another. Thank you. At least one of you is glad to be here. (laughs) It's a good thing to fellowship. It's a good thing to laugh together, to share our lives together, and enjoy the blessing of being in Christ. The creator of the universe is a God of love, and he's our heavenly father. He wants to express his mercy and his grace to us. To remove our sin from us. He's lifted us up out of a miry pit, as it were. He's brought us close to himself. And that ought to bring joy to our hearts. There's a sense of freedom. Release. The weight of guilt. The the sense of impending doom. It's gone. Psalms 100 says it so well. Shout for joy. All the earth. You read through the psalm and you, you marvel at the number of times that idea of joy is continuously expressed. The Bible is constantly saying that we ought to be the most joyful people. Godly people are the most joyful people. That's your cue. Thank you. <laughs> Rejoice evermore. And again, I say, remember what I said a few moments ago? If God says it once, it's important. If God repeats it, it's really important. And he said, rejoice. And again, I say, rejoice. "Rejoice." See, the problem with us, though, is we see that rejoice part in the context of church, and we go, hold it. You just said awe. I can do the awe thing. That rejoice part, that's in conflict with awe, isn't it? Hmm. No, they're really not. But if you come from a formal church background where they emphasize the importance of being still and acknowledging that God is God, and then you visit a service where people are laughing, clapping, raising hands, expressing joy, you think, well, that's being disrespectful. They shouldn't behave that way. That might surprise you. When I first came here, I was approached with that. That very issue, I had someone tell me that I needed to tell the people that when they walked into the sanctuary that they needed to be quiet. I really did. And I suggested that maybe it was just as Christ-like to enjoy the fellowship of God's redeemed brothers and sisters as it is to be quiet. There's a time for both. He admitted that he never thought of it in those terms. I heard about a man who visited a very formal church one Sunday. He said that right in the middle of the service, a guy had a heart attack and died. The ushers carried out five guys before they found the right one. (laughs) So wake up. Reminds me of the grandparents bringing their grandson to their church for the first time and there was a statue in the, at the entryway and he asked grandpa what that is. Grandma says, well, that's in honor of the people that died in the service. And he says, is that the first service or the second one? <laughs> Sometimes it seems we're not really sure what to do. Should we have quiet solemnity or should we be rejoicing and clapping our hands? And I think... Rather than being in conflict, it requires both of those aspects. There is a time for us to recognize and be in awe in reverence of who God is and what he has done. I come from a church background where the general feeling was that it was rather pharisaical to lift your hands and make a show of things. You're trying to call attention to yourself and maybe say that you're more superior spiritually than, than the rest of us as some kind of public display. But I've come to understand and know that I've grown in the Lord and in my Christian walk that people who love the Lord express themselves physically with their hands, by clapping, by raising, bowing. They're not pharisaical. They're just saying, God, I submit to you and I offer myself to you. When my children were young, sometimes they would come running with their hands up to me, Daddy, Daddy! What did I say? Put your hands down, you little Pentecostals. (laughs) No. He said, Daddy, pick me up. Daddy, I love you. Isn't that what we're saying when we lift our hands before the Lord? Well, you probably won't see me lift my hands a whole lot. Sometimes they get up a little ways. Because that's just not my nature. But that's okay if you do it. I, I won't think you're holier than me. But don't think I'm less holy either because I don't. <laughs> Some people don't think you should clap your hands. And yet clapping, you know, they think that's irreve- irre- re- <laughs> irreverent. Not irrelevant. It is relevant. Irreverent and disrespectful. The Bible says clap your hands, shout to God with a voice of triumph. So it's biblical. Now, well, there's times when It's inappropriate. Somebody has sung a song like the Lord's Prayer. That's not time to break out in clapping and hallelujahs. It's time to say amen. Thank you, Lord. Somebody sings an upbeat song, an upbeat offertory, nothing wrong with saying thank you for what you've shared with us. We express our joy through our physical expression. So, meaningful worship and experience needs both joy, it needs awe, and they need to come together, and they need to be expressed at appropriate times and appropriate ways. And I think so often we really play into the hand of Satan when we put those in conflict with one another. We need to worship in spirit and in truth and not get hung up on the incidentals. But... Let's follow this up. What is the purpose for our worship? And and I think there's at least three purposes worth our consideration this morning. The first is this. Our first purpose of worship is to glorify God. That is the focus. So whether you're clapping your hands, raising your hands, you need to say, what am I doing? Am I doing this for myself? Am I just trying to make people think I'm okay when really I'm struggling inside and I don't know what to do except make people think I'm okay? We ought to be doing whatever we're doing as an expression of glory to God first and foremost. Psalms 29, ascribe to the Lord the glory do his name. Worship the Lord in the splendor of his holiness. The church service is not a performance put on by some of us for the benefit of an audience. Let me say that again, just in case somebody missed it. The church service is not a performance put on by some of us for the benefit of an audience. And that's why it happens like it does, and it doesn't happen like it does in Hollywood. I'm sorry. It's not going to sparkle here like that. Now, some churches do, and God bless them for it, if they're glorifying God. God is the audience. You are the players. I am merely a prompter. That's the role. So how has your worship to God been this morning? Are you glorifying God as you worship today? That's what you came to do, wasn't it? To worship? Are you truly worshiping him Or are we too involved checking the latest scores or status updates on your phone that's smarter than me? Of course, it doesn't take phones to distract most of us. I find it interesting, from my vantage point, that we will sit through a three-hour game, a -a two-and-a-half-hour movie, three hours of TV at a stretch, but 15 minutes into the service, I really got to go to the bathroom again. (laughs) What does it take to distract us from our focus? What are we here to do? That will determine where our attention is and how bored we get or not. Did we come to worship the awesome, mighty Jehovah God? There's another purpose, and that is to build ourselves up in the faith. We need to be strengthened for the challenges that we're going to face this coming week. We, We need to come to know the Lord in a greater way. Have you gone to church and thought, boy, I, I really wanted to stay in bed a lot longer this morning. I was so exhausted. Uh, there's this picnic I'd rather be at right at the moment, and there's a ball game that's another good option, and you know, I want to be anywhere else but where I'm at. And yet while you're here, something happens, a song is sung, a, a verse is read, a, a comment is made in the message, and you think, wow, God, you met my need. I didn't expect that. And you say, "I'm really glad I was in God's house today, because that was a God moment, and God ministered to me in a way that just wouldn't have happened at the ball game or the picnic or wherever else I wanted to be." Amen. And that's why the writer of Hebrews ten twenty five says, "Don't give up meeting together." Some have done that. Some have formed the habit of not meeting together. But you need to meet together to encourage each other. Even more, he said. As the day is approaching. And guess what? I think the day is approaching. Amen. Thirdly, we need to worship to give a testimony to the unsaved world around us. Acts 2 47 says that the Lord added to the number daily those who were being saved. See, as the church worshiped, declared the value and worth and the glory of God as applied to their life, God used their worship to attract those who are outside of Christ. And that is what brought them into the fold, as it were. Every day, God was adding to the church those who were being saved as a result of people's, the church's, worship. When we really worship the Lord, and I'm not put on a show, when we worship the Lord in spirit and in truth, that's the strongest testimony that we can give. You see, it's not about art. It's about heart. It's not about how well, it's about why. We ought to do well. We ought to do the best that we can do given the constraints and the abilities that we have. But most of us don't have the level ability to compete with Hollywood. It's not about that. It's not the flair. It's the motivation behind it that draws people when people who don't know Jesus come to God's house and they see God's people worshiping God, that that is their focus and their direction, truly loving him, that's stronger than any testimony they'll hear. So we need to do the things that cause us to glorify God, to build ourselves up because that testimony is exposed to the world around us. So let me ask this final question. How can we make our worship more effective and let me make just a few suggestions this morning. Number one, it's preparation. Preparation. And I'm not talking about rehearsal. I'm talking about preparation. You know, when an athlete goes to run, I'll give you an example, one you'll identify with, a guy named Ichiro. You ever heard of him? Yeah. <laughs> he has a routine, doesn't he? And when you see him over in the... the uh, Batter's circle, not in the box, before he goes out there. He's always bending down, isn't he? Stretching himself out. You see that all the time. And then he gets up to bat and he goes, "See, lefty? This way. (laughs) He's got his routine. He's preparing his mind. He's preparing his body. And then he gets up into the batter's box and he performs. If he didn't do any of the preparation, the stats would match. All right, don't, don't count this year. <laughs> but it's the same of an athlete. It's the same with a performer. You watch this America's Got Talent, and you look behind the scenes when they show the people behind, and they're getting ready, and they're, maybe their minds are closed, or they're pacing, and they're watching. They're going over the routine in their mind. What are they doing? They're preparing. They're getting their mind in gear so that they're ready to perform. And when you come to church to worship corporately together, you need to do the same thing. We need to prepare if you come and you're all rung out from Saturday night, or if you're wrapped up in anticipation of what you're going to do as soon as the clock strikes 12, can't read it, sorry, then you're not prepared. Ephesians 5 says, Guard your steps when you go to the house of God. Guard your steps, your heart, your mind. Be prepared mentally, emotionally, spiritually. So Sunday morning we get up, have a time of prayer. Don't wait to church. Come to church to pray. Have prayer together with the Lord. Maybe read a passage. Turn on some music that will put your heart in a mind to worship and adore the Lord. So that when you come into the house of the Lord, you're prepared to minister to others. And you're prepared for the Lord to minister to you. And and once you're prepared, it's important to participate, isn't it? (laughs) You don't prepare to watch. You prepare to play. Worship is not a spectator sport. Worship requires participation. The Bible says God is spirit, and worshipers must worship in spirit and in truth. How do we do that? Well, I think first of all is by our singing. We talked about Ephesians 5.19 earlier. Speak to one another in psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. Sing and make music in your hearts to the Lord. Psalms 33.1 says, sing joyfully to the Lord. Do you get the passage? Do you get the message? God is saying, I like to hear your heart expressed in song. When you sing, you encourage one another. Well, most of you do. <laughs> All right? And maybe you say, well, I don't have a beautiful voice. It says make a joyful noise to the Lord as you sing. <laughs> and the attitude of our heart ought to still be one of joy. Singing, unfortunately, become a point of controversy in many churches. Many have actually split over music, whether to use contemporary or traditional music. Others have said, well, let's split our church. We'll have an early service with contemporary music, a later service with traditional music. And we divide ourselves in different ways. I think a blended service is the best answer, in my own opinion. Whether we use traditional, we use contemporary, we we combine them together. And we worship the Lord together. Why? Because those hymns of the faith are full of truth and doctrine. And when you sing them, it embeds that into your heart and your mind like nothing else can do. You know, we do scripture memory, usually on an annual basis here as a, as a congregation. And every year I have people say, well, I just can't memorize. I tried, to, I tried that, but I just couldn't do it. But if I asked you to quote the song that you hear on the radio, you can quote it verbatim, can't you? That's what music does. Awana has learned that, and they've put all the kids' verses to music, so they can rehearse them in their minds musically, and it opens a different part of our mind. And when you read and you sing the hymns of the faith, you're implanting in your heart good, solid, sound doctrine and teaching and truth from God and who He is. But there's an aspect of the contemporary music that we need as well. You remember I said we needed awe and we needed joy. There's a heart, there's a passion in so much of that music, an expression of ourselves back to God, and there's value in that. The Bible says, sing a new song to the Lord. Don't get stuck in the old one all the time. Remember it, rehearse it, use it, but try some new stuff. Some of the courses are wonderful, praise-filled, to lift our hearts, and so we need a balance of both. So we need worship. Let me... Another aspect of worship is communion. The Apostle Paul writes in 1 Corinthians Is not the cup of thanksgiving for which we give thanks a participation in the blood of Christ? And is not the bread that we break a participation in the body of Christ? It's a sharing, it's a participation. We participate in worship when we come on Communion Sunday. We ought never forsake that meeting we remembering the broken body and the shed blood. It ought to be a point in our spiritual calendar that we are here on that Sunday morning when we anticipate celebrating around the communion table. It's usually the first Sunday. I say usually because we don't want to say always. That might become habitual. <laughs> How else do we participate? Well... I mentioned a little bit ago that we worship when we bring our offerings to God. You see, an offering time is not just the time when we say, "Well, we got to pay the bills," so everybody cough up something. Maybe that's how we feel, but that's not worship. 1 Chronicles 16:30. Thank you for that. Amen. 1 Chronicles 16:30 says, "Bring an offering and come before him and worship the Lord in the splendor of his holiness." Your offering is a sweet-smelling savor to the Lord. It's saying, God, I trust you. God, I love you. I love you more than these things that are tangible in my fingers. I trust you to take care of my needs as I'm faithful to support your ministry as you have required. And God, because you've said you love a joyful, cheerful giver, I'm going to give with a glad heart. And I'm going to watch for opportunities to see you give through me. Because there's great joy when God brings up an opportunity and I can meet it. And I marvel and I say, God, you let me do that? You let me help that ministry or that individual or that servant of yours? You let me help that person in, in need? What a delight. And the more you give, the more joy there is. Giving is worship. Listening to preaching is worship. I love saying that. (laughs) It might surprise you. You thought that was just the part of the service you had to endure. But God has always used preaching to communicate his truth. The psalm we read earlier said today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your heart. Are you listening for God's voice? How does God speak? He speaks through his word, to be sure. Romans tells us he uses the preacher to present the word. Now, this is the part that I kind of shy away from. 1 Corinthians, Paul says, God was pleased through the foolishness of what was preached to save those who believe. You see, what the world counts as foolishness, God uses for eternity. May not be the greatest preacher, the flashiest preacher. You may have to sit and endure some services, but listen for God's voice and listen for what he's speaking and then how do you respond? That is worship as well. I know what you're thinking. At the end of the service, we're going to close the book, we're going to sing a song, and there's going to be an invitation. And if you respond to that invitation, you're worshiping. That's not what I'm saying. Notice I capitalized it, the invitation. What invitation? Revelation 19, 9. An angel said to me, write, Blessed are those who are invited to the wedding supper of the Lamb. Do you realize that we all have been invited to the wedding supper of the Lamb? That time when eternity dawns and we join together with the saints of all the ages, those who have put their faith and their hope and their trust in Jesus Christ alone for salvation, and we enter into the eternal state? Have you responded to that invitation? Some of you have given your RSVP. You've sent in your response. you said, Lord, I'm going to be there. I receive your invitation. That's the invitation we're talking about. Maybe you've not responded. You've been putting that off. And so that invitation is being extended to you today. It could be a very sacred, a very holy time for you as you respond in faith to the one who loved you so much that he came and he died and he sacrificed his life so that you could have eternal life. That's a time when every Christian ought to be praying, saying, God, would you use this moment so that people would respond in faith? So as you make an invitation to invite them into your Family, they would respond in faith, and that others who need to make decisions would respond in obedience. As God speaks, it's time to respond. When you don't respond, that's sin. Whatever is not of faith is sin. When we conclude a service, oh, I know, you hear this. Right? I hear it all out there. It's a terrible thing to put notes on a screen because as soon as that last blank is filled in, I hear that noise. (laughs) So sometimes I trick you. I leave a blank until the very last second. But worship is listening and responding to God in obedience. So once God has spoken, I need to say, God, what do you want of me? Are you ready to respond? Let's bow our heads. Thank you, Father, for this Psalm 95 that encourages us to worship, encourages us to respond to you in faith when you speak and not to forget. Lord, help us to be that people that respond when you speak. Lord, if there's somebody here this morning that doesn't know you as Lord and Savior, they've not committed their life to you, they don't have a hope of eternal life, in the moment that they die, they don't know where they're going. Lord, I pray today that your Spirit would convict them of sin, convict them of righteousness and coming judgment, in order that they might respond in faith to your invitation to be a part of your family. If that is you that I've just spoken of to the Father, I pray that you would respond to him just where you're at. Say something to the effect of, dear God, I understand that I am a sinner and I don't have the hope and confidence of life with you after I die. But I understand that Jesus came and died on the cross, took my sin on his own self, that I could have eternal life and I received that invitation. Make me one of your children today. And then just give him thanks for that where you're at. Maybe you're sitting here today and you've been attending church for some time, but you haven't really worshiped. You've just shown up. And God is saying to you this morning, it's time to worship me. Time to acknowledge who I am. Time to give me preeminence in your life because this other issue in your life is standing up in front of me and you're worshiping it instead of me. Would you spend a moment and confess that before him? Father, I pray that as you speak to our hearts, be it right here in these moments, or even as we go, during times of personal devotion and quiet time, we read your word and pray as you bring things to our mind. Father, help us to respond in faith, in obedience. And we'll thank you for it in Jesus' name. If you've made a decision this morning, I'd be glad to pray with you about that. I'd be glad to share some uh, thoughts from the word of God to confirm that. Give us that opportunity as you go out today or even through the week. Give us a call. And be glad to talk and pray and encourage you in the decision that God has prompted in you this morning.